From WCUG Impact Media, this is a conversation about the talk. I'm your host, Maddie. As a multimedia artist, I'm interested in elevating the stories of those who are marginalized. With PAC Media and through WCUG, we are bringing you this multi-part series, and we hope you stay with us. This episode, we are sitting down, virtually of course, with the organizers and participants of The Talk, a peaceful demonstration that will be taking place on September 18th, from 3 to 5 p.m. at the Columbus State University Clock Tower. The Talk is focused on giving guest speakers and students a chance to speak on imminent racial issues and concerns, and how we can improve these issues in our community and campus. We were able to bring organizers and participants together on a Saturday afternoon to talk through Zoom. So I'm really, really excited to be able to hear a perspective. That hey, I, I found the right room. Y'all left me in that main room. I was like, yeah, I just pressed join breakout room. And I was like, hopefully it's I have to, to, be the right I have to do it on my phone too. And then and now my phone's a very sideways. important time. I think a very get my questions together. We had Victoria. Hi, my name is Victoria Buchanan. I'm a senior history major at Columbus Day. I'm one of the organizers for the talk. I'm just excited to see this all come into fruition. And I think this is a very important event that we're having. Hopefully we continue to have it on campus. And Gabby. Hey y'all, my name is Gabby. I'm an organizer and creator of the event. I'm just excited to help educate, help guide people in the right direction and help people create what they want to see on campus and in our community. They teamed up to organize the talk over the summer. The death of George Floyd really impacted me. I think it's because he's around the same age as my dad. He actually kind of looks like my dad. You know, I'm married to a black man and I was like, that could have been my husband. The death of him has really impacted me in ways I didn't really understand at the time. Plus, you know, with how big our generation is on social media, seeing things on social media that you don't agree with or whatever the case may be really pushed me to be like, let's have this conversation on campus because these are people that we personally know posting these things. They either don't know or don't care about the situation. So this conversation needed to be had. It's not like a, you know, we're talking down to you. It's a strict conversation. It's just like a dialogue. For me, I would say just the all the events over the summer, it was kind of like just piling up because every day was a new story or multiple stories a day. And I was just like, I just literally don't understand. I seen a quote that said, keep the momentum, never give up, keep trying. And so like, that's when I reached out to Victoria about the whole thing. And I was like, we have to do something on campus. Because if that's one of our, you know, pillars of excellence is inclusion, we need to, you know, have these conversations. We need to acknowledge that this stuff is going on and how can we build bridges with each other and friendships with each other on campus. As they organized the event, they had an outpouring of support and an eclectic group of speakers volunteer their time and voice for this cause. My name is Kayla Pipkins and I am a featured speaker for the event. My passion is to engage youth and to spread positive messages with my creative writing. I'm an English major sophomore, and I'm really grateful and excited to be a part of this event and the talk. My name is Winfrey Williams, and I am the Georgia Program Coordinator at Columbus State University. I graduated from college in 1993, so I'm positive I'm older than everybody on this call. I attended Valdosta State, which was a very interesting place to be at that time. And um, I'm a mom of three, grandmother of one. I love education and educating. I'm 27, going into my 27th year of education. I've worked with everything from elementary, middle, high, but I think I got a sweet spot for you collegiates. Excited to hopefully be able to work with you all in the future. And thanks to Miss Victoria for the invite. To participate. We also invited Dr. Donna Frio to be a part of our conversation. 
As a teacher, Dr. Donofrio focuses on creating a welcoming classroom space where students feel comfortable sharing their perspectives. I'm very excited first to see so many engaged young people at CSU wanting to have such a conversation of importance at this moment in our history where we're, where we're really going through some trying times. And so it's super exciting to see this unfold and I'm very excited to be here and to hear what all y'all have to say. Our goal was to create a space to have an honest conversation, to discuss, to find, and to learn. This episode in two parts, part one around virtual table discussion, and part two, tell me more. This is a conversation about the talk. When we met on Zoom, we had to ask Victoria and Gabby the obvious question. Why do this during a current COVID pandemic? I'm gonna say it's bigger than the pandemic because the pandemic is very important. But, you know, this is a conversation we need to have because our ancestors already had this conversation in the 60s and the fact that we still have to have this conversation today means that nothing's changed. So no matter what is going on in the world, these conversations still need to continue to have because we need to see constant change because nothing's changed. And if it has changed, then why do we still have Black men and women dying all the time? So no matter what is going on, this would continue to happen. Even if it was just like a normal school year, you know, COVID didn't come and just cancel everything. This is still going to continue to happen. Even if we have to do it like virtual, like live stream it, because no one can come to the event, and that's how we're going to do it. But it's going to continue to happen. I would just say, look around you, look at the community, look at the state of the world. Why not have these conversations and start back from the beginning? Because the state of the world is already chaotic. Everybody is divided. Everything is broken. Like this is the perfect time to have these conversations to rebuild a community of inclusivity and to create what you want to see in your communities. Because there's so many people that are entrepreneurs, people are starting businesses, doing things in the community, creating what they want to see. Why can't we do that on campus, you know? I feel like there is no good time to have these conversations, but I feel like right now is a perfect time to have these conversations because all we have right now is time because we don't have the access to do certain things right now. You know, we're restricted, so why not dedicate our time to rebuilding our community? Another question I had was why the sit-in specifically? Why not a protest? Why not a rally? Well, originally, Gabby wanted to do a full protest, like out here in the streets marching, right? But I was like, okay, but we have to think of like the COVID, you know, we can't be super close to each other. And I was like, one thing that was always very persistent in the civil rights movement, because I'm a history major, is the sit-ins. It was always there. It was always persistent. And you know, like, you know, it's happening. So I think with the sit-in idea, it was just like to sit there and be like, okay, we're here and you're going to see us. And then it kind of got bigger when we decided to add speakers and everybody else and like name it the talk and actually have a conversation. But that's why we picked the sit-in, just because it's not as loud as a protest, but it's as impactful as protest. Yeah, and to feed off that, I learned, like, after she suggested that we do a sit-in, I was like, well, yeah, because more people will be willing to listen to a sit-in than us, you know, in the streets protesting. Not that that matters. If you, if you want to learn, you will come and learn. But still, it's about how we get the message across. If we want, you know, this community, we want to build a community of inclusivity, then we have to go about it a way to get everyone to listen. And I keep saying community because that's where it always starts. First it starts in your home and then it starts in your community because that's what you're around all the time. And then it can go bigger than that. We opened up the conversation to the rest of the group. We started by asking them what their hopes were for the talk. Victoria and Gabby spoke first. Personally, I just hope that people take this time to listen because they're like people are always asking oh how can i be an ally how can i be better this that and the third but you don't listen you just continue to ask these questions that we've answered multiple times but you haven't listened yet so hopefully this is just a area for some people to just sit down and listen listen to what kayla's going to speak about listen to miss randallette listen to what we're saying because we've said this before and now we're going to say it again 
So hopefully the allyship that comes out of this will be more of like, let me listen to the people that are out here screaming about it. Most of our speakers are either art students, theater. We have like a variation in different people joining us in the talk. And they're all very talented. So it's not what we expect y'all to take away. It's what you take away from the experience. You know, we put these talented people in front of y'all. Like we got Kayla, she does spoken words. Very, very emotional. She's great at what she does. We have Miss Randallette, a faculty here, willing to, you know, put her time out and speak on her experiences as a faculty, you know. Other speakers from the community, other student speakers that are entrepreneurs, they do their own things on the side. They're in different organizations. So we are just hoping that y'all take away what you can from this conversation. We don't expect y'all to take something certain away, but we hope y'all take something impactful away and go about the topic of the conversation, inclusion, in a different way. I personally... Kayla, one of the speakers for the talk. I'm a creative writer and I do poetry. I do other forms of creative writing like screenplays and music, but I'm really... My niche is in poetry and spoken word. And I was really excited when they reached out to me about doing this because I've been looking for this outlet because I feel very passionately about being a woman and being black, which are two completely different experiences and then being both at the same time in today. And I see so many things and I have so much to say and I write what I think people will hear as an emphasis. I want them to take away not the whole thing, but just that one line. If it resonates with you, then I want you to keep it and I want that fire to spark. And I want you to then go spread that. And Rondolette answered last. For me, it would be somewhat of a generational spin on it coming from being a child in the 70s, up through the 80s, up through the 90s, now into the 2000s and the experiences that I have had throughout those decades and the differences um, I guess in how things were and how they are now. You know, how a person like me navigates through this world as it is now. How do I better relate and understand you all's perspectives? Because as I'm listening to you, there are things I'm thinking about like, yeah, that's good, but, mm. you know, I, I have a different viewpoint. So hopefully being able to share, I dare say, a little wisdom and some direction on how I think you can be even more impactful. They always say the squeaky wheel gets the oil, but sometimes the squeaky wheel gets got. You know, I feel like with activism, we have to be very strategic. You know, we can't always do everything. We have to sometimes take a moment. What does it mean for you to speak up when so many choose to be silent? To speak up means just show that you're standing with somebody or something or whatever you personally believe in. So I feel like if you don't speak up or speak out, then you'll basically fall for anything. So you'll just go fall for whatever the crowd's doing at that time. And this may not be the most popular thing, especially because Black Lives Matter is not still trending. So it's still not like, it's not the most popular thing right now, but it's still something that needs to be done. Speaking out again, um, as opposed to silence is the most basic instinct and that is being the change that you want to see um, and just going against the conformity of society where we all, like you said, follow trends. And that's why it is important to keep it going. I want to see more people speaking out, whether it's in music or poetry or in conversations like this, just in our community in a more open space, not just in your dorm, but where you can see that, oh, I'm not the only one talking about this. We asked Dr. Donna Frio about the spiral of silence, a theory in communication that tries to explain why people might not speak up. The idea of the spiral of silence, I, I think uh, the gist of it is that it becomes easier and easier to be silent about issues. And then that represents a complicity in what's happening around you at some point. And that is much easier because you, the opposite is to be active and to voice your concerns. So there's so much going on here. And I, I did want to piggyback off some of the things that you all were talking about earlier. I love this idea that you're thinking about strategy because I think this speaks to some of the things that Randall Randallette was just talking about, which is what sort of policies do you, what could we do better as a university or as a community policy wise that you would say, hey, this is something, because I love the idea of having a dialogue, but is there something that you'd like to see us do better in terms of your experience and things that we could improve that you, you'd hope to identify through the dialogues that, that we could implement as a community? 
there's not so much the university can do. I think we're more so talking about students because there are certain organizations and certain clubs that students do tend to, you know, gravitate to because of the atmosphere it brings because they might feel only comfortable in these certain spaces. And so we really want students to, if they want to see a certain space or they want to be comfortable wherever they go, to create these spaces on campus. So taking advantage of different departments to accomplish these goals. Yeah, personally, with us planning this whole entire thing from the beginning when we emailed originally the Dean of Students to just plan this, this university has been on top of it, helpful at every turn. We sent and gotten so many emails, okay, from June to now. It's just been crazy, but they've just been great. And I think that's another reason that I personally just love CSU is because they let you do you and they'll let you, they'll help you. Whatever you need, you can literally just ask and they'll, we'll try to move mountains to help you do it. And that's one thing that I'm so grateful for about with CSU. But that is, that's is great to hear. In terms of the, the community in general as a, as a whole, so Columbus is, is, is sort of unique and I'm, I'm still figuring it out myself after living here for a couple of years. But the way that it's sort of, we've got the north side, we've got the south side and then the downtown area. And is there anything that you'd like to see as a community in terms of these conversations, sort of the attention to them? How might this thing that you're doing now with a talk promote those sort of conversations in the entire community. Okay, okay, I wanna say this because I would have been doing so much research. I still, again, giving students resources about these different clubs and community service events. We have like Girls Inc., we have Boys and Girls Club. They have like three Boys and Girls Club, like being mentors to the younger youth and stuff like that, like giving them those resources because if they're not looking for it, they're not gonna find it, students. I'm sorry to say that, but if they don't do the research, they won't find it. So giving them that, like we have a I lead, which is leadership and service department on campus specifically for community service. And they have like Paul's Humane. They have literally categories of everything. And then they have educational, developmental, youth, you know, stuff like that. So just bringing that back up to students, like, hey, if you want to be, if you want to see change in the community, how about you help mentor someone? Or how about you do community service to see the community that you want to see? in Columbus or keep the Columbus community that it's known for. Mm-mm. I really want CSU students to have an impact on younger youth because they definitely have the talent for it. We have so much that we could give to younger students so they could give that much to other people too. Yeah, I agree with Gabby. Plus Ms. Randallette does that. Yeah, She works with middle high school students. That is a conversation that um, we have all the time. How can we go back? You got to reach back and help the ones that are coming up. And that's mainly what Gear Up is all about, gaining early awareness and readiness for undergraduate programs. So um, just had a talk the other night. I'm doing something called Cougar Conversations. And um, I had one of our CSU advisors on the call, and she talked about that very thing, students coming into college not knowing their left foot from their right. They are so lost on the processes and things that they need to do on campus and how they can best navigate on campus. And just the reality of being on your own for the first time after leaving home and understanding, you know, why you're there. What was your why? Why are you in college? What do you hope to achieve? Um, Time equals money and you have neither one to waste. Um, So it's just so much that you all could bring to my table um, as far as sharing your experiences as college students with these high schools, they're juniors. Um, So they're a year away from making a major decision, which way do I go? I would love to see CSU students really get engaged and connected um, to the gear up students and kind of help, like you said, Gabby, mentor them. Our whole goal is not for them just to be accepted into college, but to graduate. You know, it's fine to get accepted and be there for a semester or whatever and then, oh, this isn't for me, made a mistake. No, we want to know that you know your path, you know the expectations, and you're ready to excel and achieve. I see all of you guys taking some sort of initiative, and I think it's just amazing. You guys are all opening up spaces for activism and inclusivity and engagement. Is there a cost to speaking up, do you think? And where are you getting your courage from? Because I think sometimes it can be really scary. Do you want to go, Kayla? Yeah. (laughs) My driving force, well, I was 
raised in a single parent household and we grew up, I I grew up struggling because I'm my only child will. One of the main things my mom always badgered into me, like you have to be successful and you have to take initiative. And if you don't want to be in our situation, you're going to have to work seriously hard. And I grew up really fast and I matured faster. And so my mind said, I never, I never saw the world quite like my friends who didn't have the same issues. And because of that, I always thought, you know, how come you guys don't value education like I do? Like my mom talks about it all the time, you know, just stuff like that. I saw the differences and it started, it didn't start to bother me until I got older and I got into high school. And now that I'm in college, I'm starting to really see the disconnect. And like you were saying earlier, I want to help people see the importance because when people grow up and they get out into the world and they face reality, um, and they don't have the skills or, or like the interpersonal skills that they might need because no one ever told them that, hey, that's important. No one ever had the discussion that you can't just be a C student. You have to excel. You know why? Because you want to do, da, 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 you know, it, it all transpires and it's all connected. I think the level of engagement is really what's important. But at the end of the day, being engaged and taking initiative is sometimes, you know, something someone has to kind of explain to you because I don't feel like a lot of students understand the weight of it and the importance. And so getting by is what they've settled on because no one's really challenged them to do any different or any better. Kayla, I just want to commend your mom. Seriously, because as you were speaking, I thought about so many different things. We have parents who generationally have not excelled in an academic space and so they have children who either do one of two things they fall right into that generational curse of not excelling academically and thinking academics is a joke I don't need it you know I just need fast money let me do whatever I need to do to make some money and I'm good and then you have those who don't want their children to do better unfortunately um they see them as trying to be better than, you know, how dare you want to do better than I did, or how dare you want to go to college, or how dare you want to graduate high school, you know, and unfortunately, I've heard stories of that, like, it literally happens, that you have parents who want to keep their kids just where they were, just where they are, they don't want to see them do any better, and that's quite unfortunate, and I've always been told education is the great equalizer. So if you do not invest in your education, then you're really cheating yourself and you're cheating your community out of your gifts and your talents. And and as a coordinator, I have a little over 600 students that I'm working with. That's frustrating to me because just as you said, your mother encouraged you. She let you know, look, if you don't want to be in this situation any longer, here's what you're going to have to do. And you took that to heart and you acted on it. We have so many students that are in similar situations and they just seem to have a hopelessness. Um, and they're not trying to hear this from adults. You know, to them, we're preaching. We're just being preachy. Um, you don't understand. You don't know what I'm going through. You have no idea, you know, so forth and so on. So it's extra important for them to be able to hear it from someone you all's age because you're closer to that generation and they can receive it a little better, I believe. So I guess what I'm saying is for for other generations, you had that intrinsic desire to do. If it was in you, it was in you. You knew you wanted to follow suit. These kids now, they have to be motivated. You have to dangle a carrot in front of them, in other words. It's all extrinsic. Oh, what do I get for that? Do I get a gift card, t-shirt? There's gotta be something. And I wish they could get away from that and realize this is for you. At the end of the day, this is about you and your life and and what you're gonna be able to do and contribute in the future. Don't let a t-shirt be the only reason why you log on to tutor.com so you can improve your grade. Um, I think for me, the courage actually kind of came from Gabby. Gabby is very passionate in what she does, no matter what it is. And she's kind of like, 
influential in that way. Because when we started this, I was like, oh, we're just going to have like a really small, like, you know, we're going to do it at the clock tower. Everybody's going to sit. We're just going to like talk, like chill. Like it's going to be okay. Like I'm not going to freak out. And I was like, oh, we're doing this, that, and the third. 100%. I don't care. I'm like, okay. So as she got more confident, I became more confident. So actually my courage actually came from Gabby in that way. And it just got, you know, bigger and bigger as we started reaching out to like the radio station and Sabre. And then some of my professors found out and they started emailing me and were like, we're so proud for you in our department. And it's kind of got bigger after that. But because I was like, oh, a protest on campus. I, it's my senior year. I'm about to be expelled, you know, like. <laughs> so I did feel some type of way. I was like, oh God, please don't let me, don't let me go. Okay, at least let me get my degree first. But no, it was because of Gabby for me. Um, for me, I would just say a little bit of Victoria, you know, she's really just the person that I see myself being when I'm older. I really do admire her. And then also my parents. My dad has always told me, I want you to do better than what we have. Don't get too comfortable with this. You know, always excel in what you do. And if you don't like something, change it. Because, you know, you pay to be at this university. You pay for these resources. If you don't like something, you need to talk to someone of higher power and get it fixed. So if you don't like something in the community, if you don't like something on campus, if you don't like how, you know, maybe even a friendship is going, you need to change that. I think uh, much like the other professors that uh, some of our students have run into that I can't uh, say how proud we are to have folks like you out there and organizing and thinking about getting students to speak up on their own behalf, especially on issues like this. I've worked with Randallette in the past to, to do some things with Boys and Girls Clubs. Our students love those experiences, but they're challenging, right? And so being a mentor for those sorts of students, I, I think really gives them working intimately as a mentor, helps them mature as people, our students, but also really helps give first generation potential college students a leg up on what to expect. And observing our students work with kids in the Boys and Girls Club, those are the kind of questions, like if I go to college, what's it going to be like? Because they, they don't have a history to, to sort of tap into with their parents or anyone and so those sorts of programs are very, very important. So to hear the different perspectives from, from people has been really, really fascinating and, and rejuvenating in, in a lot of ways uh, to, to hear folks that are that involved, so. Next, we discuss the role of the internet, smartphones, and social media, and if they, through these changes, have impacted popular social movements. Yes. Oh, definitely. I think that's how this whole thing started anyway, with the video of George Floyd dying and then everybody being outraged and then it just kind of grew. Right. Because see, these things have been happening since the beginning of time. What's happening is nothing new. Um, we're just able to see it now. Go all the way back to Emmett Till. I mean, murdering of black men and women has been going on for decades, generations. So it's not that what's happening is so so brand new and so fresh it's just that it's in your face now the capability of being able to capture it on video and share it multiple times on so many different social media platforms is what's now getting people's attention but it's a two-edged sword to me because sometimes content is shared that incites things um there's some things that perhaps just didn't need to be shared at all. Um, I feel like sometimes people post certain things, they may even stage it, who knows, because you know, everybody loves to get a like. People can abuse social media and they can do things that stoke that fire. So we just have to be careful before we go to the streets and march and you know tear things up. What, make sure you're doing it for the right reason. Make sure it's legit. Um, because otherwise, social media is a, um, it can be a, a, a useful tool and it can be one that people use to kind of, you know, incite riots, which we don't want that. I would agree with that. I think it is this double-edged sword. I think that it's great for organizing. It's great for bringing exposure to terrible atrocities, as we know. But also it has this siloing effect that I think sometimes just looking through my feed that outweighs the positive conversations. You won't see a lot of dialogues like we're having now on social media, right? People skim, they see the headline, oh, I hate that, and let me tell you all about it. 
And usually it's already an echo chamber of people who agree with them and maybe one who doesn't that gets shouted down within the comment thread. And you're like, that just wasn't productive. A lot of it is that we look for people that we already share a like-mindedness with and, and that becomes problematic because we can't reach out to other people we really need to open the dialogue to. And I think, for me at least, I hesitate more in the fear of making a mistake in commenting on social media than in a conversation where I feel like, oh, I can, you know, this is, this is actually what I meant. Whereas in social media, it really does seem more permanent because it's there, even if you try to delete it later. And so in some ways, I love the fact that people can organize in ways that were never possible. You can amplify messages. You can show things that would have been buried in the media before that need to, to shine a light on. But also, like you're saying, there's that double-edged sword of, can you have a productive conversation in Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram, the way that you might in actual conversation with people. And I think that gets lost in the mix. I think people get really tied up in their emotions and that's understandable. But in that moment, they don't want to hear um, another perspective. You know, they hear that there's another side to that coin that you're not considering. So yeah. I have experienced that firsthand and I just had to shake my head. Like if this is, if this is what we're going to do, we're never going to get ahead. If, if everybody's got to think the same way, believe the same things, there's no room, you know, for another opinion or, or thought, then we're in for the long haul. I definitely agree with that, Ms. Randallette. I also think like whenever you post on social media, especially if it's something like, oh, well, the media says this, you need to make sure you back it up with some facts. Like you just can't post some crazy headline. And I think I learned that just being a history major and a lot of research I do, I do a lot of papers. Okay, all I do is research. So like if I see something crazy, like the dog jumped out of the plane, you know, I'm not going to share the headline that says the dog jumped out of the plane. I'm going to figure out how did the dog get on the plane, you know. So you've got to make sure you have your research before you just post stuff because you just can't share everything. You know, you have to make sure like it's actually a true statement. I think you have to treat social media and technology like a call center. And I only say that because my mom used to work at one and just hear her come home every day talk about how somebody got loud just because they were on the phone. Social media and technology gives people the opportunity to stand behind a curtain and speak to you. If you can't see my face, it's not only hard for you to know what I mean and how I mean it, but it's also easier for someone to be to be overconfident and rude. Um, because they don't have to face the immediate reactions if we were having a conversation in person and someone disagreed, be like, okay, you know, if that person gets loud, it's like, oh, why are you, you know, getting up here? Everybody else is down here. But when I'm behind a phone or a computer, I can say what I want to say and you can't do anything to me. So I'm more, have more courage. That's it. I have more courage to do and say what I want. And so if you are confident in the information that you're spreading and you've backed it up, then, you know, you'll have a better, you'll have a stronger stance and a foundation. And when people see that, they'll be less likely to come at you, I guess, sideways. And when you have a clear space like that, that's when technology becomes a positive thing. And that way, you know, what the information you get is accurate, you, your decisions are better educated. And then when you spread it again, you know, everybody has the right information. As we brought the roundtable to a close, our final question was framed to explore the idea of confronting our biases and how we may go about listening critically to something we may not always agree with. This is the challenging part of the dialogues and conversations. And for me, I kind of want to take it in a, in a direction of, I think being open to hear another perspective is always going to be the most important. So to be able to put ourselves into another person's shoes, uh, we do like an optical illusion where you can see like a square inside of a square. But if you look at it a different way, it's actually a whole different image. And so to be able to, to take some perspective taking, I think is important. For me, I think the challenge has always been if I believe that someone is wrong, how open and willing am I to, to believe that they can change? And so someone has done something that I think is just a, a terrible, terrible act. 
maybe they've been shamed uh, in our society for it. How willing am I to believe that they can change? And I think that that happens just by really having a lot of conversations and getting to know people. And, and most of that is listening to their perspective and asking them questions about it. So rather than sort of taking our own position so strongly with people that we believe can change, I think it's important to ask them questions about their own position so that maybe they can see uh, how it's unfair to others. I really do want to believe that we can change uh, people on an everyday basis through conversation. I think that's a real challenge because a lot of times we do have things that we believe in very deeply and if we if we aren't open to allowing them to express themselves first then we get into this this shutdown conversation where it becomes an argument and so i think yeah being able to step back understand their perspective ask them questions about it and hopefully know that it's going to take more than one conversation to to change someone who is is doing things that are terrible, uh, in, in many cases morally objectionable, you still have to believe that there, there might be a space where they could change. And I, I think that's one of the important things. And as long as we can have like a civil discussion about it, because personally I like to have these conversations like face to face, because like how people say like over social media, people get crazy. So if I could have a, even like on a phone call, I'd rather have a conversation with somebody. But I personally just, I mean, I'll listen. And if I'm wrong, then I'm totally wrong. And I will 100% take that and correct myself for the future but that's how i am but i had to grow into that because beforehand i'd like look you're wrong i don't care but not grown into that um, for me i would i'm always listening because i'm gonna be like well first off how did you come to that conclusion so i'm have no choice but to listen to their story and i'm kind of like how victoria was when she was younger where i'm just like you're wrong please stop but i think right now is the time to you know have open discussions about these things and try to understand where they could be coming from even if i feel like it's personally not right because some of these people are just they've been raised like this like they've been raised to believe these things so they have that's what they they really think is right like it's in their mind they really think it's right so me not knowing this person i can't convince them otherwise because they have been built on this there's foundations to this stuff. generations they this is what they think is right so i don't know i feel like there needs to be more resources to you know have these conversations as well because i don't even have i really don't have an answer because these people think they're right and then we think we're right, so I don't know. I think I have an idea. Um, how to listen critically would be hearing it from someone of your gender. And I use, I say that specifically because let's just take a really broad example. Like Miss Randallette, I personally, like just off the top of my head, if I would wake up in the morning and someone asked me who I want to listen to speak, and it would be you or a professor of non-color, I probably wouldn't listen to you because you look more like me. But how to open my bias, I have to consider the fact that, okay, the other professor, she may not be a person of color, but she's still a woman. Okay, you know, so let me hear what she has to say. She brings something to the table that I didn't even consider. You know, you wanna listen critically, put yourself in the right mindset and physically put yourself in the right space. And I think that does have a great impact on how critically and how well you listen. So I think it just has to do with baby steps, but I think that energy, space, and gender are like three big things. That fierce emotionalism that we get ourselves into, um, we have to learn how to kind of, if possible, even in that moment, reevaluate. Because once you set it in motion, it's really hard to scale it back. You know, it's, it's almost impossible. Once the time that rock hits that water, the ripple effect, you can't stop it. Yeah. So I think there is something that you're getting at that, that is important there and, and, and the differences maybe between some of these situations. In, in terms of the history of it all, I, I think that that feeds into it. Maybe Victoria, that's something that you could speak to is historically we, we see this pattern develop and I think that's some of the anger that, that communities feel. 
typically, yes, with a lot of history that it does continue to happen, like someone gets shot, we protest or take a knee or whatever the case may be, but nothing else, like nothing gets done. Like it's in like, we're like, please do this, ignored. Please do that, ignored. Please do this, ignored. So then when we have to burn down the target to get some answers, you know, then everybody's mad. Cause like, well, why didn't you just do it peacefully? It's like, so, but we have been doing peacefully. We wanted to keep talking because the conversation was so insightful, but we needed to move on to the second portion of our discussion, our one-on-one interviews. It was an honor to be here and it was an honor to be invited. And I really, really loved getting a chance to hear what all uh, everyone is doing and, and, and all the different perspectives that people shared today. So thank you so much. Appreciate it. State University, SGA, recognizes these unprecedented times. The saddening deaths of countless African Americans due to police brutality is truly heartbreaking. We do not stand for the injustice and systematic racism that has been present in our country and we support the fight to end it. Being that a majority of our SGA officers are people of color, we certainly understand both the frustration and desire for change that many of you may be feeling. We value inclusivity and we will not allow a shred of racism or any other form of discrimination to exist at Columbus State University or its surrounding community. We encourage you to reach out to us if you have experienced any type of discrimination while at Columbus State so we can address it and provide you with support. Join us in supporting this cause by voting in all elections, signing petitions for policy change, active nonviolent protesting, donating, researching, having tough conversations with the ones you love, and increasing the awareness of the unjust things occurring in our country. Please contact us at SGABPSA at columbusstate.edu if you have further questions, comments, or concerns. Let's make change. From WCUG Impact Media, this is a conversation about the talk. I'm your host, Maddie. As a multimedia artist, I'm interested in elevating the stories of those who are marginalized. With PAC Media and through WCUG, we are bringing you this multi-part series, and we hope you stay with us. This episode, we are sitting down, virtually of course, with the organizers and participants of the talk a peaceful demonstration that will be taking place on September 18th from 3 to 5 p.m. at the Columbus State University Clock Tower. The talk is focused on giving guest speakers and students a chance to speak on imminent racial issues and concerns, and how we can improve these issues in our community and campus. We were able to bring organizers and participants together on a Saturday afternoon to talk through Zoom. Part two, tell me more. After our roundtable discussion, our producers and I spent a little one-on-one time with Victoria, Gabby, Kayla, and Rondolette to talk to them about their work and maybe get to know them a little more. Our producer, Raina, spoke with Gabby about what she is going to share during the talk. The significance of Still I Rise. The poem is by Maya Angelou. It's called Still I Rise. And the message that I get from it when I read it is about survival and hope, which is kind of like the state we're in now, is we're hoping to survive, <laughs> not only through this pandemic, but also with all the social issues going on and stuff like that. And so I kind of chose that poem because I kind of wanted to give people hope because what we're doing right now is we're having different students and organizations express what you know Black people endure on a regular but I also want to bring the positive side out because though we're mourning and we're seeing like the sad side and we're, you know, remembering certain things that have happened in the past, I still want students to come out with hope. So we don't want everything to be so, so, so sad. We want some parts of it to be like, hey, 
but also be proud that you were black, be proud that you were raised this way, be proud of where you are now and where we're gonna go in the future. And so I just love her poem. Like she had, she grew up in, you know, Jim Crow South. And so her poems are always about the problems that black people endure. But this poem was so, it was such a contrast to what she usually does because it's, usually her poems are just very sad, but this, just gave me the courage to, you know, keep going. So that's what I'm gonna give to other people. At the same time, Sho was having a conversation with Kayla about um, her work. Would you kind of spend a little bit of time with us to explain your piece and kind of anything you would like us to know about it? Yes, okay. Would you like me to explain just one or both of them? You can do as much as you want. The more, I'm, I'm, okay. the more that you want to speak about the things that you're passionate for, I'm, I'm here for that. Okay, perfect. Um, the first spoken word that I'm going to do is titled 45 Second Trigger. I wrote this originally for, I think I was, um, it was like a modeling event at the mall and I just wanted to have a part of my talent ready. So I wrote the poem specifically for that event. I never did it, but it's just funny to me how the reason behind the like the reason why I wrote it was so minute compared to what I'm using it for now. Um, but I write the easiest when it's considered something that I find very that I am very passionate about. Um, and that is the black experience and what it is to be a woman and how those two um, cross over. And so 45 second trigger is geared towards black men and police brutality. Um, it's very short, so I wrote it so that it would maybe fit about 45 seconds is what I had for the event. Um, but I give it trigger because, like I said, it's about police brutality. Some of the lines in the poem are basically beginning with the phrase, how dare you tell the boy? And so I like to hit on, you know, how dare you tell the boy he amounts to nothing, that he weighs more than a bulldog but must bark like one in order to matter. Um, just things like that. And it's, I don't, I want the emphasis on those phrases to be, you know, how dare you tell someone that they only matter if they're doing a specific action or if they're being obedient or if they're being, you know, if they're doing what they've been told to do, you know, how dare you tell someone that, you know, they shouldn't have been nervous or they shouldn't have been acting a certain way. They shouldn't have looked suspicious. They shouldn't have been wearing that hoodie. They shouldn't have been in this area. They shouldn't have been out at night. They shouldn't have been going on the jog, you know, something like that. Just how dare you tell someone that they can't be, they can't do human activities. They can't be like everybody else. Of course, I want to have children one day and I don't want them to feel like they have to live their life based on how someone else told them they should. Um, and I, I, if they're going to listen to others, I want it to be a conversation that has a foundation in confidence and you know how to find yourself and not how to find yourself within a confined space. That's 45 second trigger. My second poem that I'm doing is titled Naturally and it goes back to what I mentioned before about wanting to have children someday. Naturally you know I want to bring life into this earth and I want to spark fires to other people. You know naturally I want my kids to grow up and feel safe. Um, you know, naturally being a black woman and of course having a child of African-American descent, you know, naturally they're gonna have to deal, they're gonna be faced with certain adversities. Um, and some of them, as much as I can research and talk to them about to an extent, I'm not gonna be able to prepare them for all that. Naturally, I feel as though, because that's what earlier about how much I really value education, I naturally feel like it is my responsibility and it is the responsibility of the current generation to prepare the coming generation for the future and to teach them life skills and then how to do better than we did and teach them how to find their own importance because I feel like a major issue right now is youth, you know, realizing the importance of their actions and the opportunities that they're given. And it's one thing to tell them the importance, but it's another thing for them to find that importance out for themselves. One day I'm going to be an adult and my kids are going to be the ones running the world. And I, I want them to be brought up in an environment that I don't have to consistently worry about their health and safety. Which of course, as a parent, naturally, <laughs> you're going to do that. 
but um, I don't want it to be so much so to the extent that I have to do things that are so common now that I'm realizing, such as um, I watched a YouTube video a long time ago and this um, young black man was saying that he teaches his kids like protocols for how to approach or when you're being approached by law enforcement and things to do and things not to do, which to be honestly, every parent should be like, you know, of course, be respectful, listen, you know, it's a police officer. But the fact that it's mostly taught and it's specifically taught in families of people of color, you know, why isn't that an everyone thing? Why do we have to do that with our kids? I just don't think that's right. And of course, that's a thing that takes time. But like Gabby and Victoria were saying before, this is a cycle. It's not new at all. Um, so what really needs to happen, it all starts at home. And it should start and it should come forth naturally. And I am very excited, like I said, to be a part of something like this where I get to use um, a passion of mine to convey a message that I feel strongly about among other like-minded people who also are interested in, you know, building a presence on the community, on um, the campus community, and um, just bringing awareness and letting other people know that, hey, you're not the only ones having these conversations. Let's have one big conversation. And I had the chance to speak with Rondolette. And our conversation began with us sharing some of our college experiences. Um, first of all, I wanted to say I appreciate so much what you do because I'm actually the first in my family to graduate. I come from like a family of immigrants, um, my mom's single mother, low income. So this is amazing is when I started <laughs> school, I had no idea what anything was. My family was just like, get your degree. And I'm like, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> how do I do that? Uh -huh. I mean, you know, I told a friend of mine the other day, I said, I don't know how I made it through because I didn't have a point of reference either. You know, and definitely not having technology to fall back on and look stuff up. It was just like a leap of faith is go get it. And like you just said, go get your degree. And that's kind of what I did. I would like to speak about being, I guess, an African-American woman in, I don't necessarily want to narrow it down to the educational space. I know I told Victoria in the beginning I would talk about my experience at Valdosta State being one of only two black women in the sports medicine program and the pressure that came from that, the intimidation, that whole, that whole feeling of not belonging, you know. It's definitely an important narrative because you'll already feel like a marginalized person and then you mm -hmm. feel extra marginalized. People don't yeah. think about that. They're like, oh, you're this single thing that that must be it. like no there's other factors there's mm -hmm. so much more that layers on so it'll be along that vein how do you maneuver how do you maximize your time and getting to you know how do you not allow all those outside variables hinder you from moving forward because i definitely uh, i can remember a lot of bad experiences just really uncomfortable experiences that made me, I think if I had not been as defiant as I was and just standing my ground, I don't think I would have made it through. I think I would have just folded and been like, forget it, I'm out. But I had the fear of my parents and knowing that, you know, I was not coming back home without a degree, number one, and just having to learn how, you know, to navigate those waters on my own. I mean, I really had to just make up in my mind that I came here for something and I'm leaving with it, no matter what, no matter what obstacles come my way. Being in a city that was primarily white. When I went to Valdosta, first of all, first time I'd ever been there, didn't even know what Valdosta was. Um, but just looking around the city, I saw no people of color. In the mall, I remember walking around and looking like, where are the black people? Where, where are the people? Where are the colored people? <laughs> I mean, it was like nobody. And it, it was very unnerving. Um, even though I, I attended a school with um, a mixed um, student body, I didn't attend like all black school or anything. So I'm very familiar and comfortable 
um, being around other races, but it was something about South Georgia at the time that was just very uncomfortable. And um, I remember sitting on the steps of my dorm and they have a sorority and a fraternity there. I don't know if we have it at Columbus State called Kappa Delta and Kappa Alpha. So the KDs and the KAs. And they came marching across the front lawn of our dorm and all the guys had on Confederate uniforms. Yeah. And all the girls had on like the big bell dresses. And when I tell you my heart dropped down to my toes, I was like, oh my gosh, it's the Ku, it's the Ku Klux Klan, it's the KKK, what are they doing? <laughs> yeah, it was terrifying because they just came marching through and I'm sitting there with my other friends and we're all like, what the, you know, what the, what? And I immediately, that's crazy. It was terrifying. And I, and I remember we all kind of froze, like, don't move, don't talk, don't breathe, don't look over there, you know, just wait till they pass. And I bolted to my dorm room and I, you know, we didn't have a phone in the room, but I bolted upstairs and got the phone in the hall. And I called my mom and dad. I said, you got to come get me. You got to come get me. The KKK just walked through the campus, you know, and they were like, what are you talking about? But never having seen that before, it was just like one of their spring somethings or something that they did, you know, but we didn't know that. We'd never seen that. And it was just so frightening you know, to witness it and, and go, oh my gosh, you know, what, where have I brought myself to? What am I doing here? So everything from that to, again, being one of only two Black women at the time in the department that I was in, and I remember one of my professors, John Merriman, I'll never forget it, and I actually have a letter that he wrote to me after I graduated, and I'll be glad to share that um, during my session. But he basically acknowledged the fact that you overcame a lot of barriers. You overcame everyone's expectations or lack of expectations of you. And I remember him telling a group in, in a class we were in one day, how are you letting this little, this little lady, because I'm short in stature and everything, he's like, how are you letting her intimidate you like this? How are you letting her tell you what she's not going to do? And I, I did that. I felt like I had to, I was, I had to protect myself. That's, I felt like I was forever, you know, looking over my shoulder and, you know, so I would stand there and I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing that. And this whole group of folks are like, she won't do it. And so the professor, he's like, how are you, are you serious? You're going to let her tell you what you're, what she's not going to do. And he was like, Ms. Phillips, at the time my maiden name is Phillips, Ms. Phillips joined the group. I'm like, okay. So I just, I was very, I can see how people, the young people feel now, because I felt like that back then. Just very defiant, very, I'm standing my ground, very, I don't agree with that, so I'm not going to do it. You know, you have to make me do it kind of thing. And um, despite all of that, despite professors even telling me, um, you're not gonna make it. You're, you're, you won't make it, you won't graduate. Back then we took something called the TCT, teacher certification test. Um, you'll never pass it, you're, you're not gonna pass it. And I remember passing it. As soon as I graduated, I passed. I sent my results back to the department. I, I, I mean, I've always been that kind of person, like I'll show you know, I, I can tell you, I can tell you. And so I sent those test scores back and that's when he wrote, you know, the letter and he was like, yeah, you know, I, I never doubted it. I knew you would, but you definitely proved a lot of people wrong. You know, you were one of the first ones that actually passed your test versus, you know, the hand-picked kids, the ones that all the professors just adored. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a really interesting time to be an 18, 19 year old, you know, trying to figure out this new world, um, carving out your, your space there on the campus. The only thing I can say that I, I often wonder about at CSU, is there a place 
where the kids congregate. Because as I've been, you know, on campus the past three years, I don't see that. I don't see like a common space where everyone just hangs out, so to speak. And we had that there. We, we had something called, we called it the yard. And on any given day, you know, we were all hanging on the yard and just talking and laughing and having a great time. I don't see that at CSU. It's like everyone's going and coming and doing what they got to do and going and coming and doing what they got to do. It's very quiet. And so I wonder how, how do people talk? to one another? How do they congregate? How do they position themselves to have these critical conversations that everyone is saying they'd like to have? Talking with such a passionate group, it raised a question for us. Where has this patience come from to maintain and persevere through adversity? My religion, I am a Christian. And so I'm, I've grew up on the, you know, saying, God says, love thy neighbor, enemy info. So loving people, even though, even if they don't feel the same way about you, you have to show them love. That is how you are supposed to live your life. Live a life without a heavy chest or weight on your shoulders. And then also I would say, just how I was raised. My mom, she's a teacher. And so she's big on helping kids that come from less. And I think I think she chose to be, because she went back to school to be a teacher, but I think she chose to be that because after she um, after she adopted me and my sister, she had to be patient with us because we came from, you know, a different atmosphere and she had to raise us with love and patience. And so that's all I know because that's all I've been treated with is love and patience. I'm going to say that probably comes from just growing up, you know, as a Black woman, in America, I just think it kind of comes with our territory, you would say, I guess. And I don't know, I feel like it's just kind of like a part of like you are like, you'll explain, they'd be like, okay, we understand, but you don't understand. But I'm not gonna yell at you because then I'm seen as an angry black woman. So I think growing up, like seeing my mother deal with it, seeing her mother dealing with my grandmother, it just kind of kept me to not be out here yelling at everybody all the time and being seen as a crazy, angry black woman because some people see that and will not listen to you at all. And other people see it and be like, okay, well, maybe I should listen a little bit. But I think if you stay calm and direct to what you want, then there's no room for interpretation. Instead of like screaming at somebody, I'm going to say it very directly to your face. And I've always been very blunt and I've always been very honest and I will continue to be that way. Because I don't want you to take whatever I said and turn it all around into whatever you want me to turn it around into. Well, I am a very inquisitive person. Whenever someone says something that I don't necessarily agree with, I want to hear what you have to say because I want to understand. I want to help you get to a point to where we can both be on the same page. But I can't do that if I haven't given you a chance to speak. Even if what you say is completely left and it doesn't make any sense, at least I know where you are. That way I know how to respond. Because I think the issue is we get to the point where we don't know how to respond and so we end up arguing. I want to respond with a, I want to have an educated response, but I can't, I don't have any, you know, knowledge to put with it if I haven't listened to you and learned. People do have different experiences and unless you know someone's story, you can't always respond to them as if you know. Um, and so give people a chance um, because at this point, I feel like we're all, like America just in general, it's not a melting pot at all. It's more like a pot full of a bunch of stuff that doesn't mix, like a pot of water and oil, just different colors. And we're not, we're not mixing. We're just kind of together, but we're still separate. After almost three hours, it was time to let everyone go back to their day. We had talked so much and it felt like the start of something but we still have so far to go. Join us next week as we bring the talk and some reporting on the day's events. Be safe, mask up, and please socially distance. That concludes our first episode of this series. This has been a conversation about the talk. Well, this is important to me and I want it to be important to you too. Making sure that it happens without any issues. And then um, just hopefully that people don't get upset by the conversation and then it's like 
a counter protest towards our protest. I really just hope that doesn't happen. I think that's like my biggest worry and fear out of everything is there like gonna be like some crazy counter protest in the middle of our protest. Take a day to breathe and be proud that you are black or you are of color. And how can you bring that hope into other people? And how can you bring that into your community to create a better space? I'm just as much of a human as you are. If you cut me and I cut you, we both bleed red. Thank you to the participants of our roundtable and interviews. We are so appreciative of your time, honesty, and voice. Thanks again to Dr. Donofrio for his time and knowledge. We would also like to thank our listeners for the time and patience to be a part of this conversation. We hope you took something away from this program. The talk is this Friday, September 18th, from 3 to 5 p.m. at the CSU Clock Tower. Or you can stream the event online. Special thanks to the students and staff of WCUG, especially Matt, as well as our faculty advisor, Dr. Getz, and department chair, Dana Gibson, in helping us air this show. This show was produced by Raina Thompson and Sho Irigawa, with production help from Madeline Ramos. Script work, sound design, and editing by Sho Irigawa. This has been a production of PAC Media and WCUG. You can follow at PAC Media Network on Instagram. I'm your host, Maddie, and you can follow me at Lawn Pecan on Instagram. Thanks for listening. Thank mm-hmm. you.